0: And our Gospel reading today, would you stand with me as we read the Holy Gospel together? Reading from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4, uh, reading verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the sea and the wind obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we pray with the psalmist. O Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And with Samuel of old we pray, speak, O Lord, for your servant listens. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place, O God, may they be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at our gospel passage today from from Mark chapter 4, I want just for a moment to bring our hearts and minds back to that famous encounter of Elijah with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. This is Elijah's great moment, his his great contest with the false prophets, those who look to gods who are no gods at all. And the test in this portion of Scripture for who is the true God, who is the only God, the test is the test of prayer. Whoever answers prayer in this place is the one who should be worshipped and is the one who should be feared. And you'll remember, if you know the story, all of the feverish attempts of the prophets of Baal to make their idol hear their prayer. From morning until noon, we read, they cried out, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, we read, and no one answered. Later on in the story, they cut themselves with swords and with lances until the blood gushed out and they raved, it says. It's the first recordable rave, I think, in history. But there was no voice in return. No one answered reread. No one paid attention. And I like Elijah. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And he gets a bit smart with the false prophets. Cry louder, he says. He's obviously a god. Maybe he's daydreaming. Perhaps he's going to the bathroom, he says. When you think about the time that it took for their prayer, when he says perhaps he's going to the bathroom, he's making a smart jab at Baal's constipation. And then Elijah says this, perhaps Baal's on a journey. Or perhaps Baal is sleeping and must be awakened. Well, you know, at the end of the story, Baal doesn't answer. After all those hours of crying out, but when it's Elijah's turn, his prayer is very, very short. And it's very succinct and very straightforward. Oh, Lord. God of Abraham, Isaac... In Israel, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God." And then the fire of the Lord, we read, fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and even the dust. And it licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God answers Elijah in a moment, and he reveals his sovereign power and lordship over nature. And there's some irony here, isn't there, in our passage today that we find our Lord on a journey, and we find our Lord asleep. And when they call on him in this moment, he reveals his sovereign lordship over nature. Elijah mocks the prophets by depicting Baal in terms of humanity, with human weakness and human limitations. And now Jesus comes in the Holy Gospel, and he's limited by the weariness of his body, and he's limited by his need to travel, and yet his lordship is unchanged. Who is the true God? Mark, the evangelist, asks us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God. And there are three emphases in our passage today that I want to look at. First of all, the revelation of our Lord's humanity. Secondly, the revelation of our Lord's deity. And finally, the response of his his followers, of his disciples. So first of all, the revelation of our Lord's humanity. Jesus is asleep in a windstorm. It's so violent that the waves are breaking into the boat, and water's beginning to fill the vessel we talked the other night about, something just like this with the patents. It's wet, it's noisy, people are getting sick, they're bailing water, and Jesus is asleep. I've heard all kinds of uh, explanations and interpretations of this passage that I find very, very unsatisfying. Jesus, they say, unlike the disciples, he's so perfectly trusting in God that he can sleep through a storm. He's not worried. He's resting in his Father. The resting of Jesus, they say, is juxtaposed against the fretfulness of his disciples. Look at that picture of perfect repose, they say. You should be more like that. You should be more like Jesus, resting in God. But you see, they miss the point. Jesus isn't aware of the storm at all. Jesus, he's sleeping on a cushion. He can't trust his father in the storm when he doesn't know the storm is there in the first place. The emphasis here is not on Jesus' repose. The emphasis by Mark is on his tiredness. And the picture of Jesus is that he's so tired, he's so fatigued, that not even a storm can wake him. Have you ever been so tired and so fatigued that stuff goes on around you, all noise and clamor, and you sleep right through it? I remember in Toronto when Benjamin was just a baby. And uh, we went one night out grocery shopping, we put him into his car seat, we buckled him in, we took him down the elevator to the car, and in moments on the way to Loblaws, he was, he was asleep. And then out of the car, and into the shopping cart, and down all the aisles of Loblaws, and all the people saying ooh and ah, and through the cashier, and all the dinging and clanging, and then back into the car, and the drive, and out of the garage, and into the elevator, and back at home, and all the groceries away, still sleeping, so tired, and he was even kind enough to let us watch a little bit of TV uh, at at the end of all of that. He was just so tired, and he slept through it all. And you see, Jesus has been preaching, and Jesus has been healing, and he's been casting out demons. And just before this, Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples, and he wanted to get it right. And he was so concerned to make sure they were the right 12. We read he spent his whole night in prayer. And Jesus in Mark chapter 4, he's exhausted. He's so tired that he sleeps right through a storm. And brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful picture of his humanity. And I find myself that it's very, very comforting as a picture of our high priest who is able to sympathize. With his brothers and his sisters on earth, and sympathize as one who's been tempted like we are. And so now he's able to pour and lavish upon us grace and mercy. It's a picture of his humanity. But the second emphasis here is, is, is on his sovereign and his divine lordship. Jesus, though fully human, is fully God, and he rules over nature. He rules over creation, even as Yahweh rules over the creation in the Psalms. Psalm 29, the Lord sits, he sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. The Lord rules the waters. And Jesus Christ, he comes at the suffering servant, but from the place of the suffering servant, he reigns as the Lord over creation. He reigns over waves. He reigns over devils. He reigns over human hearts. Jesus reigned over the heart of Pilate. Jesus reigned over the heart of Judas. Jesus reigns over them even as he suffers under the hearts of those who crucified him. And when we say that Jesus reigns, we say that Jesus reigns just as the God of Scripture reigns. In A.W. Pink's words, his sovereignty is absolute, irresistible, infinite. He governs the universe which he has made for his own glory, just as he pleases. His is the right of the potter over the clay. He is under no rule or law outside of his own will in nature. He is a law unto himself. He is under no obligation to give an account of his matters to any. His power is exercised as he wills, when he wills, where he wills. Brothers and sisters, Mark tells us today that the lordship of Jesus Christ is the lordship of almighty God. No less than that, or else we cannot affirm that he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And as Lord of all, as Lord over every Adam, Lord of every wish, Lord over every desire, Lord over every tempest, Lord over every whirlwind, we can call upon his name with confidence. Otherwise, our prayer would have no effect. Because if Jesus doesn't reign over the universe, if Jesus doesn't reign over the hearts of people, our prayers wouldn't be, Oh Lord, stretch forth your arm. But our prayers would be, oh, Lord, I hope there's something that you can do about this. But our prayers aren't like that, are they? Our prayers are to be like Joshua's, oh, Lord, make the sun stop in the sky over Gideon. And he is honored and he is exalted by the boldness of our prayers. In his humanity, Jesus can sympathize with our Weakness and our trial in his his deity, he can respond in power, and nothing shall be called impossible with God. And finally today, our passage looks at the response of his disciples. Now the disciples are understandably distressed. Their ship is sinking, water's in the boat, the winds are howling, and their lives are being threatened. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for waking him up. In fact, it's what they should have done. They should wake him up. He's the one that they should be going to. Scripture encourages us to look to God in this way. Isaiah 51, wake up. Wake up, O Lord, and clothe yourself with strength. Flex your mighty right arm. Rouse yourself, O God, as in the days of old. I don't think the picture that Mark wants to give us today is that the disciples should have said to themselves, well, he'll wake up when he needs to wake up. Don't worry, if he's sleeping, all is well. Just just wait and see what happens. It is right to call upon the name of the Lord in the presence of threat. But I don't think that's what they're doing here at all. And the reason for that is because of their response to his control over nature. Look at the response to his miracle. They're completely taken by surprise. Who is this, they say? Who is this that even the sea and the winds obey him and suddenly they're filled with fear and they're filled with dread and they don't know what to do. Of course if they were going to him waking him so that he could do something with the waves and do something about the wind then they wouldn't have been so surprised. But they'd gone simply to Jesus to wake up and say wake him up and say teacher we're perishing. All of us are perishing, including you, Jesus. What are you doing sleeping? Get up and help us to bail water out of the boat. And so Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. Don't you know who I am? He says to them. I wonder if we can hear Jesus saying that to us this morning in our various positions of threat and necessity I wonder if we can hear him say, why are you so afraid? Don't you know who I am? I am the sovereign Lord who answered Elijah. I am the one who kept Daniel safe in the den of lions. I am the fourth man walking in the fire with those who confess my name. I make the stars. I make the wind, I rule men's hearts. The nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket. I bring princes to nothing, and I make the rulers of the earth as emptiness. I pierce Leviathan's jaw with a hook, and I put him on a leash. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Do you not know who I am? Why are you so afraid? Brothers and sisters, we need in this life above all things to see Jesus Christ, to know who he is. It's more important than any other thing just to see the Lord, just to see the master, the one who's conquered death, the one who has rid us of all the powers that have stood against us, the one who is our son and the one who is our shield. It's why we gather here every week. It's why we do what we do here in church. It's why we believe that the church is the most precious place on earth. Because it's here that God has purposed effectually to reveal his son. Ephesians 3 verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And so week after week in word and in sacrament, the Lord says to us, don't you know who I am? Why are you so afraid? Put your faith in me for everything. Trust in me. Rest in me. Believe in me that I alone am the Lord and there are no other gods besides me. There is no one else in this life to lean upon. There is no other salvation. And I alone answer from heaven with fire for you. And brothers and sisters, hear this. The Bible says so very clearly, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved from whatever extremity From whatever plight, the Lord will hear because he is the Lord and he's unlike any other. And so to close today, brothers and sisters, I I want you just for a moment, wherever you are in life, whatever it is that's threatening your boat, just pause, close your eyes and see the Lord and hear him saying to you, don't you know who I am. Put your trust in me. God, our Father, we put today in the weakness and in the infirmity of our flesh, we put our trust in the risen and victorious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And we affirm that he is the Lord. And he is fully human and fully God. And he is sovereign over all that you have made, over every human heart, over every wind, over every devil, over Leviathan itself. And we put our trust in him. We cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that you care for us. You do care, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. In your name. Amen.